Wonderful. Well, as Brendan said, a big shout out to Bridget for doing all the Mother's Day um, gifts. Also, Lucy Malone, I'm aware she had a real hand in it too. So thank you so much to you, ladies. I also want to give a shout out to my wife and Charlotte and Donnie. I'm aware that you three ladies, as mums, haven't had your husbands around since March because we've been here every single week seeking to serve Sovereign Grace Churches. So Emma and Charlotte and Donnie, thank you. Thank you for being the ladies you are, which enable us to do what we are doing for the wider church. We, we are so grateful to God for you and give thanks to God for you. Now, before we get into God's word today, one other quick sort of update and announcement so much as anything is just about some of the things that are happening around the world. It is good to see um, the way Australia is starting to edge towards getting back into normal life. And yet it would be fair to say that that's not true for every country. Um, in some countries, they're still very much in lockdown. And for some countries, sadly, lockdown means no work, which means no food. Um, in places like Liberia and Nepal and, and India in particular, um, countries like that, the Philippines, and for some people, they're living hand to mouth every single day of their lives. That's how they eat. And so lockdown uh, means no food. Over the last couple of months, Sovereign Grace has been able to send out um, a lot of aid, which has been wonderful. Um, yet more aid is still needed, particularly in Liberia. I just spoke to my friend Diona on Saturday night. Um, and he was just telling me then that the lockdown has been extended from the 14th of May all the way to the 31st of May now, which means they run out of food on the 14th of May. This is their church, their eight churches, and 50 pastors, college students that are all leading churches in rural settings. It is a crisis uh, for them. And so we are as a pastoral team here, and Riley with his, with his core team, and we're praying through and considering through what funds we could take from our church through, through your faithful giving and through a saving on some expenses during this season of what we can give and to help them, particularly Liberia, but maybe more if, if we can raise enough. We also want to let you know that if you want to be involved in that, if you just feel the Lord putting on your heart to give to these brothers and sisters, Sovereign Grace family around the world, then please do. And particularly either probably today or tomorrow or Tuesday, because time is kind of of the essence when you're running out of food. If you want to give to that, just give money directly to Sovereign Grace Church and just highlight it as COVID aid or COVID-19 relief, anything like that that will make it clear what it is for. We will add that to whatever we're able to give from our church as well. And I'm going to be sending that over, hopefully by Wednesday, Thursday, and to particularly serve those brothers and sisters over there. So thank you for your prayers in that. Thank you for your encouragement in that. Thank you for the way you already give to our church, which makes it possible for us to play our part as part of the wider sovereign grace and family. And if you want to give to that, then please do. Okay, well, let's go ahead in our Bibles, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Just last week, we started a new series on the book of Colossians, and what a start it was. The opening eight verses of the book of Colossians are wonderful, because Paul takes us in those verses on a trip down memory lane and a trip down memory lane, which is a reminder and celebration of grace. A reminder and celebration of our identity, who we are in Christ, that we are indeed saints, a people set apart for him, his treasured possession, and we are indeed his family. A celebration likewise that the Holy Spirit is without doubt alive and well in our hearts. 
producing the attributes of faith and love and hope and a celebration that for this Colossian church and indeed our church as well, this has all come about because of the glories of the gospel. The power of the gospel which changes lives, which changed their life and still changes lives to this day. Paul, in those opening eight verses, he thanks God for them and he spends time reminding them and celebrating the grace of God to them. And in verses 9 through 14 then, this is what he says next. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank You for Your Word. Lord, how refreshing and reviving it is to be around Your Word. Lord, I do pray through the Holy Spirit that this word would come alive in our hearts and our minds today. That we would understand what is taking place here. And that this prayer isn't just for them. It is indeed for us as well. So Lord, give us grace today. As I teach, as others listen, give us grace. Would you draw near to us in this moment? As we draw near to you in your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You know, just last year at the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference, I had the privilege of introducing one of my friends and indeed fellow pastors from Nepal due to our brothers and sisters, our pastors and wives around the world. Now, I won't mention his name here. I'm aware we're live streaming, and so for obvious reasons, it will become apparent I wouldn't want his name to be spread around the internet. But it was a thrill to hear his report as he, in a way that only he can, just glowed with his eyes and with his speech and passionately proclaimed what the Lord has been doing there. See, just last year in 2019, a law was passed in Nepal that made it illegal to share the gospel with unbelievers. If you are caught sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, you will spend the next three years in prison. If you are caught baptizing a new believer you will spend at least a mandatory five years in prison. And yet despite this clear opposition from the government, they continue as a local church, and indeed churches, to endure and faithfully share the gospel seemingly with whoever they can. They are undaunted in their proclamation of Christ. And so my friend was telling us and reporting to Sovereign Grace that he spends so much of his week now in prison trying to get his different people out, his brothers and sisters, his fellow church members, out of prison 
And he was telling me that when he goes to the prison, he goes obviously with a colleague and he gives his colleague his bag on the way in on the premise that if I don't get out, I will be proclaiming Christ in prison. Will you care for my family? These guys are fearless in the way they proclaim Christ. And he was reporting to our pastors just last year that Although the law and the government opposes the gospel, in 2019 they were, baptized, they were able to baptize just over a hundred people. In the last 17 years they have planted 16 churches. Many hundreds of people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in Nepal. And he's closed the report by simply saying, How is this possible? And then he quickly answered his own question. He says it's possible because of the power of prayer. It's possible because of your prayers. It's possible because we have a God in heaven who is mighty and majestic and loves to answer people's prayers. And we know you've been praying for us. And so thank you for that. He is answering your prayers and that's why we're able to do what we do. And then he closed that report by ending it simply saying, so please keep praying for us. Don't stop. Please keep praying for me. Please keep praying for my congregation. You know, that report for me and I think the entirety of the audience that was there last year was a wonderful reminder of the power of a wonderful reminder of how God answers prayers and that prayer is a powerful thing. And that's exactly why Paul is praying for this church in Colossae right here too. See, in verses 1 through 8, Paul celebrates the miracle of this church's existence. And now with great affection in his tone from verse 9 to 14, he begins to pray for them. He's never met them. But already as brothers and sisters in Christ, he has great affection for them. And knowing the power of prayer, he wants to lift them up then to the Father who is in heaven. And what we have here then is a prayer that we're not just designed to listen to and go, oh, isn't that interesting? It's a prayer that is here inscribed in God's word because it's a prayer we are called to learn from. Right here we learn, I think, how to pray for one another. How to pray for each other in the Christian life. It's not just a prayer we listen to, it's a prayer we learn from. And so two points then this morning. Number one, a prayer for knowledge. That's where Paul begins. And then number two, a prayer for conduct. Number one then, a prayer for knowledge. And let's go ahead and look with me at verse 9. Paul says, And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Since the day he's heard about their plight, since the day he's heard about what is happening at this church in Colossae, he and Timothy have not ceased to pray for them. Out of affection and love and knowing the power of prayer, they simply haven't stopped praying for them as regularly as they could in their day-to-day lives. And he begins by praying for them for knowledge. And that is hugely significant. See, it is significant that Paul prayed for the Colossians' knowledge 
Because as you know from last week, this small church in Colossae is under siege by people who are telling them that they needed a better knowledge. Or indeed, gnosis, as the word is in the Greek, for knowledge. These false teachers that had come into the church in Colossae, these Gnostics as they became known, they were teaching that Christ was a good place to start, a good place to begin, but there is so much more that you need to know about. There is so much more that you can experience. And so they were encouraging them to incorporate a Gnostic system of passwords and rites and initiations. And this superior, sort of more perfect than loud, know-it-all attitude was intimidating some of the church of the Colossians. And so some of them were made to feel that they were lacking. And so this false teaching, this Gnosticism, this heresy was beginning to risk taking root. This idea that Christ was not the creator. This idea that the incarnation was not real. And this idea that Christ therefore was not enough was in danger of catching on in this local church. That's why Epaphras runs all the way to Paul, even though he's in prison, to ask for his help. And that's why Paul, full of grace and truth, responds with this letter. And as he prays for them without ceasing, he prays first and foremostly for knowledge. And you make no mistake, this knowledge is set in stark contrast to the knowledge that the Gnostics are purporting to this church. This knowledge is very different to what they are saying, both in content and covering. In content, it's totally different, as he wants to help them see Christ is the Creator. The Incarnation is real, and Christ therefore is enough for you. But it is also a knowledge that he's praying for here, that is different not only in content, but in covering. So you can't see it, hear it in the English. But in the Greek, the word, for, the word that the Gnostics would often use for knowledge is gnosis. It's the Greek word for knowledge. But the word that Paul uses here is epinosis. It's different. And while the Gnostics then are offering you knowledge, what Paul is praying for is all knowledge, complete knowledge, full knowledge. See, the Apostle Paul wants them to know Christ for who he is. In his splendor and in his majesty and in his glory and in his greatness. He wants them to know he is the creator king that is far above and beyond us in every way. And he wants them to know that this creator king is also intimate with them. He knows their names, he knows their frames, and he wants them to know the will of Christ for them. How involved with them he is by his grace and for his glory. See what Paul is talking about then primarily here in verse 9 is knowing Christ. And knowing Christ in a way that is personal, impactful, and genuine. We see that emphasized later on in Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. He talks about how incredible Christ is. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, listen, which is Christ. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. Right up front, the Apostle Paul is praying for this church in Colossae that they may know Christ, that they may have a full knowledge of His will with all understanding and wisdom. And they know that that full understanding is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So he prays for them right up front that they may know Christ in a way that is personal and impactful and genuine. A relationship with Christ that he himself knows and experiences that he wants them to have as well. See, Paul understands, not only in this letter, but in all his letters, that right living always begins with right thinking. He never says that phrase out loud, but in the way he operates in all of his letters, you can see every single letter understands that right living always begins with right thinking. And so regularly, as you examine his letters, he starts with right thinking and praying for knowledge. To the Philippian church then, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment. Philemon 6, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Then Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 17, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The Apostle Paul understands that right living always begins with right thinking. It is right knowledge and understanding that always gives birth then to right living. And so right at the start, he wants to pray for them. That they may know Christ. They may have a full knowledge of Christ in a way that is personal, impactful, and indeed genuine. So make no mistake, then Paul knows, as we all know, that all spiritual knowledge comes to us through the Holy Spirit. He knows that the way to see Christ, the one who will show us Christ, is the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit then who will guide us into all truth. That's what we learn about in John chapter 16 and 17. Jesus himself says, listen, it's better for you that I go. And the disciples are like, no way. It is better for us that you stay. But he explains to them, no, it is better for you that I go. Because in going, I will send a helper, one just like me, who will show you Christ. He will show you more of me. And through him, both I and the Father will come to live in you. Paul knows that the all spiritual knowledge ultimately comes to us through the Holy Spirit. But what he also knows is the Holy Spirit rarely works alone in this quest. And the primary way that the Holy Spirit then shows us Christ, the primary way that the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual knowledge to us is through these scriptures. He shows us Christ through this word. He brings things alive to us through these words. He imparts spiritual knowledge to us by bringing this book alive to us. That's why in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17... 
We read all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He understands that this word is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. All scripture is breathed out by God. And as we spend time in it, it's the Holy Spirit that will bring it alive in our hearts in a way that we will know Christ as a result. That's why we read in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man. Literally, supremely happy is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on on his law he meditates day and night. Supremely happy is the man that gives himself to this word day and night. Why? Because it is through this word that the Holy Spirit that in grace makes it alive in our hearts in a way that we truly get to know Christ. It's beautiful. And so right at the start of this whole thing, before anything else, Paul takes them on a wonderful celebration of grace and then he prays for them. And he prays more than anything else that they may know Christ. They may truly know him in a way that is personal and impactful and genuine. genuine. That they may know him in his splendor and majesty. And they may know his will in his intimacy. All that he has done for them and all that he will do for them. That they may truly, personally know Christ. Right thinking. Always leads to right living. But it all starts with right thinking. To Paul then there is nothing greater than knowing Christ. My friends I want to ask you then. Do you know Christ in this way? Do you genuinely know him? See I think it can be possible to know about Christ. And to know people that seem to know Christ. And to hang around with people that know Christ. And yet still if we're honest feel like I don't think I really know him at all. Do you know Christ in a way that is personal and impactful and genuine? I don't care whether you've come to church for one week or 40 years. Do you genuinely know him in a relational and impactful and genuine way? Because my friends, if you don't, there is so, so much more for you. You know, I feel like I could just stop preaching right now and leave guiltless. Because this point is so massive. We're not talking about something here that's like optional or maybe it would be helpful. Knowing Christ in an intimate and genuine and personal way is the foundation of all Christianity. It's what makes the difference between Christianity being duty and genuinely delightful. It's what makes the difference between Christianity just seeming boring in a list of things I do to being the passion of your life. It comes as you really know Christ. And if you don't know Christ in a way then that is personal and impactful and genuine, listen, I want to encourage you. Please reach out to somebody about that. 
Please reach out to one of your pastors or please reach out to your group leader or please reach out to a friend that you trust and know because we really would want to pray for you in that and help position you to know Christ in a way that Paul is praying right here that we would all know. The greatest thing in all our lives is knowing Christ, not knowing about him, genuinely knowing him. And if you don't, please reach out so that we may help you in that through prayer and through positioning and helping you. Paul begins in this prayer by praying for knowledge, praying that they may know Christ in a way that is personal and impactful and genuine. And then number two, he offers then a prayer for conduct. A prayer for conduct. Let's read again verse 9 and the start of verse 10. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, in Hebrew vocabulary and throughout then the Bible, the word walk that is used here, It always refers to someone's conduct, to someone's life. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it's talking about how you live, how you conduct yourselves in light of having a relationship with Christ. See, to the Hebrew mind, then naturally, knowledge and conduct are intrinsically linked. They go hand in hand. Um, They're like synchronized swimmers together. Knowledge and practice, knowledge and understanding and how I live my life are always incredibly linked. And to a natural Hebrew mind, that's the way they would have thought. But then in come the Gnostics and in come a Gnostic culture and they don't think of it quite like that at all. Gnostic teaching was highly speculative and theoretical and therefore more often than not it didn't relate to normal life at all. In fact, there was a school of Gnosticism that reasoned that since your body is evil and the spirit is good, it really doesn't make any difference what you do with your body. It's simply just about the spirit. And so with your body, you could just do whatever you want because it doesn't make any difference. It's just all about your spirit care, your soul care. And so the Gnostics did indeed live simply doing anything they wanted and everything they wanted. And they said that simply didn't make any difference. This church in Colossae is being affected by that school of thought. And yet Paul knows that that school of thinking is utterly wrong. It is heretical. See, Paul understands that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. But he also understands that where that faith is real, that faith will never be alone. Yes, we are saved through faith alone. But where it has taken place, it will never be alone. And so Paul prays for them. And he prays that they would walk then in a manner worthy of the Lord. Understanding that if their faith is real, it will never be alone. John Piper says it this way. He says, it is by grace we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, for it is the gift of God. But the heart that is full of faith will always overflow in attitudes and actions very different from those which flow from unbelief. Therefore, our deeds will testify truly to the genuineness or absence of faith, and that reality is in no way inconsistent to us being saved through faith alone. 
But we must understand that this reality does not mean that we in any way earn our salvation. No, it doesn't. Our deeds do not earn. They exhibit our salvation. Our deeds are not the merit of our righteousness. They are the mark of our new life in Christ. And our deeds are not sufficient to deserve God's favor, but they do demonstrate our faith. For we must always keep that distinction clear in our mind regarding our attitudes and actions. And so we must. Listen, they do not earn, they exhibit. They do not merit, they mark. And they do not deserve, they demonstrate. Oh, so important that we understand that. Our behaviors, our conduct, they never earn or merit or position us to deserve God's favor in our lives. No, they simply exhibit and mark and demonstrate true faith in Christ, which is a miracle of his grace. And so Paul prays. Paul prays that they may understand this. And that they may accordingly, by the grace of God, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They may take their relationship with Christ and play it out in their lives for the glory of God himself. And then he prays three specific things in these closing verses about their walk. And so verse 10, he prays that their walk will be fruitful. That this would be a fruitful walk. Look again at verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, Paul understands and knows the dynamic connection between action and knowledge. He understands these two things are connected. What we know and what we do, they're always connected. And he knows how these two things in Christ will spur each other on in an upward spiral. And so he knows as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, as we know Christ more and know his glory and his majesty and his intimacy in our lives, we will want to serve him more and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord even more. And the more we do that, the more we want to spend time with him because we see him at work in our lives and in the lives of others. So we want to sit with him all the more. And the more we sit with him, the more we want to serve him. He understands these two things go hand in hand and they go on an upward spiral together. And so he prays, oh Lord, Lord, would you help them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And would you help them then to grow in their understanding and bear fruit in their lives? Kent Hughes in his wonderful commentary says it this way. He says, a profound knowledge should profoundly affect one's walk. It must be understood that any doctrine that isolates the believer from the needs of the world is not a spiritual doctrine. Or put another way, if our doctrine lifts us so high that our feet cannot reach the ground, then it is false. Paul prayed that the Colossians would walk their talk, that their knowledge of Christ would grow, and that this in turn would produce a conduct that was worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects and Bearing fruit. So he prayed, Lord, help them. Help them to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, help them to grow in knowledge and bear fruit and therefore want to increase knowledge and bear more fruit. He prays that this walk would be a fruitful walk. 
And then he prays that this walk would be a powerful walk. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul prays then that their walk may be God-empowered. That their walk may be Spirit-empowered and Christ-empowered. That God himself would empower this believer's life for the Christian life. I mean, if there is a song playing in the background to Paul's prison cell in this moment, it is yet not I, but Christ through me. Because that's his point here. He's aware. We can't do this in our own strength. But through Christ, we can do all things. And so he prays that they may be strengthened with the power of God according to his glorious might. You want to know how powerful his glorious might is? He tells us in Colossians 2 verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, listen, in the power and working of God who raised him from the dead. My friend, you want to know how powerful God is? He is so powerful that in his grace and power and splendor, Christ raised from the dead. The Spirit raised him from the dead. Even death could not defeat him. And what he wants us to understand is that power of the resurrected Christ in the Spirit now lives in you. (laughs) Don't be thinking for a moment then, I just can't do it. Paul would say, yes, you can. Because the resurrected Christ in the Spirit lives in you. The power of God lives in you. And so he prays, Lord, help them to understand this. Help them to grasp this and help them to experience this. Lord, I pray then, may you strengthen them with all power to his glorious might. Why? Well, for all endurance in patience. There's a focus to this power. First of all, it's a focus for powerful endurance. See, what Paul is describing here then is the type of steadfast endurance that would enable a soldier to hold their position in battle. He's describing in that word almost a scene of a soldier who is under duress, who is under battle, and yet is able to stand strong and stay at his post and not move. He's praying for that type of power to endure. You know, just this weekend in the United Kingdom, I saw that a ton of my friends and family were celebrating VE Day. Uh, the time when Germany surrendered unconditionally to Europe and it was celebrated all around, obviously, the United Kingdom and around Europe. And one of my heroes is Sir Winston Churchill. I've seen a lot of things on him this weekend. But a number of years after World War II, Sir Winston Churchill, he, he was actually invited back to his high school in Harrow. And this man, this five foot five inch bulldog of a man, got asked to take the stage to share a speech with all the students as they graduated. This is what he said. He took the stage and he said, Young gentlemen, never give up. Never give up. Never, ever give up. Never, never, never. And then he sat back down again. That was it. Speech is finished couple of sentences he's done 
But you can imagine that these gentlemen never, ever forgot that speech. And what Paul is praying for here is that we would understand that same sentiment to be true. Never give up. Never, 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 never stop standing strong. Lord, I pray, would you give them power to endure whatever is coming their way? And then power for patience. See, endurance here is referring to adverse circumstances. Whereas patience here is referring to adverse relationships. Difficulties relationally with people. They might be in our family. They might be friends. They might be further afield. But challenge. And so Paul prays, Oh Lord, would you give them power for patience. Power for long suffering. See, the Apostle Paul then knows that such qualities can only come from God. They can only come from being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And so in verse 11, that's exactly what he prays for. Lord, give them power. Help them to understand the power of the resurrected Christ lives in them. And Lord, did you refresh them with that power for endurance and patience? And then he prays finally that this would be a thankful walk. Not only a fruitful walk or a powerful walk, but a thankful walk. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. He says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, to be around Paul was to be around a man who was truly joyful and grateful and full of thanksgiving. I mean, when you read through his letters, you realize this is a grateful and thanksgiving-minded man. And yet we would be remiss to think that Paul's life must have been there for a walk in the park. That it must have been quite easy. He must have seen the blessing of God everywhere in his life, and it must have been great. No. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, Paul describes the challenges he has faced in his life. Listen to a moment to his testimony. He says, Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Imagine that. A whole night and a whole day bobbing in the ocean, hoping you will be able to be rescued. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship. Though many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. (laughs) Paul has not got an easy life going on here, has he? This would be a desperate... I don't know anybody that has experienced such hardship. I mean, this is full-on intense daily hardship. And yet... What a grateful and joyful man he is. And what a man that is marked with thanksgiving. 
When you examine Paul's letters, thanksgiving is such a massive theme that he wants to recommend for others, but which he also seeks to model in his own life. You know, one question that I've been asking this week then is, how did he do it? What is he eating and what is he drinking that is causing him to be full of thanksgiving even in the midst of sorrow? What is it that is driving him to be filled with sorrow at different times, yet always rejoicing? But when you examine Paul's letters, and when you examine his words, you realize very quickly how he did it. How did he do it? How did he model such thanksgiving even in the midst of sorrow? Here's how. By keeping his eyes fixed on Christ. That's how he did it. In all things in his life, his gaze and his eyes were fixed on Christ. Paul was aware of who he is before the Lord, who he was naturally, but he was amazed. In Jesus Christ, his gaze then wasn't always here in the horizontal. His gaze was upward, gazing at Christ and Him crucified. And the reality of who Christ is, and the reality that Christ knew His name and saved Him and was now with Him, oh, that dazzled Him and caused Him to be grateful and filled with joy every single day of His life, even in sorrow. As Paul tells us in verse 12, he had been qualified by the Father to share in inheritance with the saints. That amazed him. Paul had spent years of his lives, indeed decades, opposing Christ. He was even there in the stoning of Stephen who was proclaiming Christ, holding people's coats, wanting them to throw the stones more. He hated everything Christ stood for, and yet now he stands forgiven of his sin. He stands as a saint declared holy before the Lord. As we read in verse 13, he had been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his son. Paul can't believe it. I was once far from the Lord, but now I'm seated at his table. I was once his enemy, and yet now he knows me as king. And friend, I know his name and he knows me. And the Apostle Paul knows too in verse 14 that he had not only been redeemed, he had been forgiven of his sins. Paul cannot believe it. How did he live his life that had such sorrow in it, yet fully rejoicing? He did it by keeping his eyes fixed on Christ. See, John Stott One said, the cross is a blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near to it, near enough to it, for the sparks to fall on us. How true that is. The Apostle Paul lived near the cross. He lived near Calvary. And so whatever was going on in the horizontal, his gaze was upward, realizing, I have been redeemed by Christ. I have been called by Christ. I am a saint because of Christ. I've been forgiven through Christ's blood. I am now an ambassador of Christ. Christ knows my name through the Spirit. Christ lives in me. And it staggered him. Paul lived by the cross, which is a blazing fire. And he lived by the sparks that fell upon him. And it changed his life. That's how he was so grateful. 
That's how he was so thankful. And so Paul prays for this church that they may understand the same thing. That they too may be a people who are giving thanks to the Father as they realize who they are and whose they are and who has called them by his amazing grace. My friends, I want to ask you then just in closing, are you a grateful person? Are you somebody who understands sorrow, yet rejoicing? Brothers and sisters, please don't misunderstand. I am not minimizing suffering there. Sorrow is challenging. And yet, even in the midst of that sorrow, are you learning from Paul to therefore be always rejoicing? Are you a grateful person? Maybe a more better question would be, would those around you say that you are a grateful person? Would those that know you best in your house or in your group, would they say, you know what, whenever I encounter them, yeah, they're grateful. They are a thanksgiving person. My friends, the cross is a blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough to it for the sparks to fall on us. If in honesty you are not a grateful person, I want to exhort you to spend more time at the cross. You will not come away from Jesus Christ and through gazing at Calvary, ungrateful. You will not gaze at the cross and then feel like you've been duped or hard done by in the rest of your life. You will be staggered. The cross is a blazing fire in which our love is rekindled, but you have to get near enough to it. I urge you, if you want to be a grateful and person of thanksgiving, go spend time at the cross every day of your life. It will change your life. And so Paul prays. He prays that they may do that and that they may in turn be grateful. My friends, praying for other Christians is of such great importance because there is such great power in prayer and yet sometimes it can be so hard to know where to begin, can't it? Where do I even begin praying for my family and for my friends and for my church? Where do I begin? Well, what Paul gives us here is a wonderful prayer that we're not just meant to listen to, we're meant to learn from. Because this is a prayer for the Christian life. And so I want to encourage you to consider those around you. Firstly, pray for knowledge for them. Pray that they may know Christ in a way that is personal and impactful and genuine. Pray that all those around you may know him for who he really is and that accordingly their lives may be blown away with what it is to really know him. That that would be the greatest thing in everybody's life. And then number two, pray for conduct. That all of us at Sovereign Grace Church would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. A walk that is fruitful, a walk that is powerful, and a walk that is truly thankful. That's how we pray for one another. So would that be our prayer? And would all glory go to the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, how kind that now as we close, we get to... Apply that by praying to you. 
And Lord, I do pray for all my brothers and sisters. Lord, Lord, more than anything, I pray that they would really know you. Lord, everything else that we talk about is kind of a waste of time if they don't truly know you. Lord, I, I pray that all of our members would truly know you in a way that is personal and is impactful. And is genuine. That we wouldn't have people looking on at others and realizing, you, you seem to know Christ, but, but I don't. I pray that even today might be a turning moment for some. And that that may cause them to go and ask others for help and, and, and aid. That they may know you in this particular and personal way. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of conduct. That we would not waste our lives but we would use them to walk in a manner worthy of you. A way that is faithful, a way that is powerful, a way that is thankful. Lord, would that always be our story? And would all glory go to you. Amen.